I went from being this kid who thought getting married and finding the one was the be all and end all to being nearly 30 years old and going, I'm starting again. And then that was the year that I applied to Miss Universe and within 12 months, my entire life changed. Welcome back to the Maria The Till Show. This is episode three and I want to start by saying thank you everyone who has listened so much for all the love. I cannot believe we have finally launched and It was really special to me to be able to drop two episodes, one that means something to me, but two, sharing my family with you. And I just feel really excited about the fact that I have this space where I can bring you the conversations that you want, that I've always wanted to bring you. And I'm just so endlessly grateful for all of your love and support. So with this particular episode, I am just going to say all the Indian aunties out there, Turn it up. You need to hear this. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I just, well, not really. Um, This episode is for anyone who, you know, you felt like maybe you're living a life according to a blueprint that's not yours. And maybe you feel like you're in a place where you don't even know if the life that you're in is the life that you want. And I'm talking about it from the perspective of, I guess, myself as someone who once felt like I needed to be married and have kids and that was what I needed to get out of life. I'm talking about it as somebody who once felt like she was following the blueprint of marriage and kids before completely flipping it and redesigning my own blueprint to be a single, self-employed, openly queer woman who just lives life on her terms. And I think if you're looking for that sign that maybe something needs to change in your life or you're wondering how the hell do I do it and stand up to external criticism and external expectation, how do I stand up to that and do things my way? This episode is for you. The reason I wanted to do this episode is because I polled my Instagram audience on what they wanted me to talk about. And out of all the responses, there were many, they were great, but this one stuck out. Somebody said they wanted me to talk about, quote unquote, why someone as smart, pretty and successful as yourself has not yet found the one. (laughs) Um... (laughs) tell me I'm not enough without telling me I'm not enough. No, I'm kidding. I just like, you know, it was, it was, it's to the point. It's very blunt. And, you know, I'm not, I wasn't angry. It was almost kind of amused at the, at the response, because I think for anyone who follows me, they know I'm very open. I'm a feminist and I'm not someone who shies away from talking about how I live life on my terms. And so when I got that response, It was just clear to me that the ideas behind it, the subtext, it's born out of conditioning that teaches people, mostly women, that, you know, being smart and pretty and successful and being enough, it's validated only when you're coupled up. And it sort of implies that despite all that I have and all that I am, not finding the one means that, hey, something is wrong, you know, in your life or maybe something's wrong with you. And That's why I thought, well, I need to talk about this because I don't think this person meant it maliciously because when I was growing up as a kid, as a teenager, as even well into my 20s, I used to think like this. I used to think that it didn't matter how smart, how successful, how, you know, great my life was if I wasn't married and if I wasn't with someone, I was missing something. And it's constantly, you know, those questions, like if you're a single woman, you're constantly asked, 
Well, when are you going to date someone or find someone or settle down? And then when you eventually do, they ask you, well, when are you going to get married? And then you get married and it's when you're having kids. And if you have kids, it's when you're having more kids, you know. So it's you're constantly being held to these blueprints. And I feel like for me, I grew up thinking I needed to follow those blueprints. So for those of you who know a little bit about me, I'm a daughter of Indian immigrants. Mum and dad moved here and... I was really taught very traditional ideas of life and you know what you know constitutes being a good woman and they were really rooted in I'm going to say patriarchal values they were a little bit misogynistic and quite disempowering so I really grew up thinking that you know for me it would be marriage and it would be kids and I remember being like 19 years old. It's not just, you know, from, you know, my childhood. I think like I really held on to these ideas well into my late teens, into my early 20s. And it's, I've been journaling for, you know, since I was 17, 18 years old. And at 19, there's an entry that I'd written after going through a breakup. It was my high school breakup. And I remember not knowing who the hell I was because I was so used to being we, you know, my partner and I and our friends and our life and our plans. And this is at 19. Like you're you're just about to begin your life, right? And I was beginning mine seeing myself as part of a partnership with someone else. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know, if you fall in love and that's what you choose. But for me, I didn't know who the hell I was outside of that. So when that relationship ended, I channeled all my energy into yearning for a boyfriend to eventually find one that I could romanticize into a husband. (laughs) And like, I remember writing at 19, God, I keep like teasing this journal entry, but I, I wrote in it, you know, what do I want to manifest by 25? And it explicitly said, I was going to end up a clinical psychologist because at the time I was finishing my psychology degree. I wanted to be a clinical psychologist and I was going to be engaged to be wed, living with my, you know, future husband and I'd have a dog and this. And that was it. All I wanted was to be somebody's wife and I channeled so much of my effort. I would say honestly most of it outside of study, the rest of it is, you know, it was channeled into trying to find a boyfriend. So with that journal entry, I feel like to give you important context of where that came from and I don't know how many of you were maybe raised like this, but I'm going to start by saying I didn't really even know what feminism was as a kid. I didn't understand it as a concept. I grew up in a very traditional conservative family and back in India where, you know, my mum and my dad's family originally lived, my dad's family still over there, the, the gender norms and roles were really, really rigid. And so when my family immigrated here, they brought those norms and values over here. So women, they were to be a little bit more subservient, don't speak up. Things like talking about sex and and dating freely and exploring your sexuality and your sex life, that is not a thing. And typically what would happen is, you know, you, you find someone, you date them if it's approved, you get married and you have kids and that's your duty. And it was values like, you know, God bless my, my mom, because this is important to her and this is important to many, but it's something that I've come to shed. You know, she'd often instill in me like motherhood is is the greatest thing that you can do with your life. And, you know, just <laughs> it was sentiments around, 
you know, my sex life and, and, you know, warning women against being promiscuous because no man's going to want a promiscuous woman. And it's sentiments like these that I think for women in particular, it really teaches them like you're being reared almost for someone else. You are being reared to be a mother. You are being primed to be somebody's wife. And it was an interesting dichotomy because there was that, but like my parents at the same time really wanted me to succeed in terms of pursuing my education. So whilst they did kind of uphold these gendered norms and values at the same time, they were like, we want you to go to school, get an education, be smart, leave your footprint on the world. And so I had this interesting, you know, pressure to one, be self-sufficient and set myself up with my education because as I said, no one could take it away from me. But at the same time, it was like, ultimately, you're going to get married and have kids. I think, you know, for previous generations, there is this sentiment around getting married and finding a partner who, you know, you can build a life with and take care of and, and settle down with. It's just peace of mind that the younger generations are going to be taken care of. And I understand that. But there's also this notion and the beautiful possibility that you can take care of yourself. And it's that whole thing. I think it's a share quote that it's like, you know, your mom wants you to marry a rich man. Be like, mom, I am a rich man. Like, that's where I ended up pivoting. But it's interesting when I look back at how I was raised because I was raised to think, yes, you want to be smart. Yes, you want to be pretty. Yes, you want to be successful, but you've got to find the one. And that's why I think I gave a little grace to this person who wrote in because it's like, I get it. That's how I was raised too. And so even at 19, you know, all my friends in school, all of us were coupled up. And we all talked about it. And I remember leaving high school and going to uni and so many of the girls in my school, everyone started to get engaged. And it was so exciting, you know, when girls started doing that, you know, early out of school at 20, 21, 22. And for me, it just felt like this pressure of, oh my God, when's that going to happen to me? And I would just fantasize about that moment where I'd meet the perfect man and he'd get down on one knee and We'd get married and I'd have the white dress. But do you know what's really interesting? It's that now when I look back on that in my early 20s and my late teens, I put so much emphasis on this moment and having this moment where, yes, somebody proposes and we have the big wedding. But it's like, what does that actually mean for the rest of my life? Like, you know, beyond the, the party and that moment and that special like, oh, my God, we're in love. Am I actually going to be fulfilled in my life? Like I didn't even think about, well, how is a partnership like that going to make me happy? And what does the rest of my life look like? I couldn't even see beyond that moment because I feel like so many of us glamorize it, especially when we were younger. It was like you just you had to get to that moment of, of being proposed to and getting and getting married. I don't know if any of you relate to that, but I certainly felt that pressure. And I ended up in the long term relationship you know, from 22 to 26, 27, I was in that and I was working up to that. And I remember being 22, 23 and thinking, yes, like I want to be engaged. I know that this is on the table. I found the one. But then I started to acknowledge that all along I had been, you know, confused about my sexuality. And I started to acknowledge that, okay, if I actually do this and I get married and I, and I commit to this life. Well, what next? Do I even want kids? And then I started thinking, there is so much I want to do with my career and I don't want to be thinking about the other stuff. And that's where, you know, in my 20s, I started learning about feminism and I started to actually listen 
to the gut feeling inside myself that was pushing back and going, you're actually, you're meant for something else. And not more, not less. This is not to judge people who who choose to get married and raise families. I think it's such a beautiful thing. But I think it's important to make the distinction that that doesn't necessarily, you know, that's not everybody's purpose and that's not everybody that doesn't fulfill everyone what makes us happy you know it's different and for me I started to question whether that was even for me and I'm glad I leaned into it because when I was 25 or 26 it was like this is Oprah quote that I love where she says if you ignore the whispers in your life sooner or later you'll get a scream and two years before I ended my long-term relationship the one where I was working up to all of that stuff you know two years before that I started to get the whispers I get the whispers, I was getting them a lot and then all of a sudden I did get a scream and I was so unhappy that I thought I'm not in the right place. At 27, I went from being this kid who thought getting married and finding the one was the be all and end all to being nearly 30 years old and going, I'm starting again because I'm just not happy. I had, you know, on the surface, like the dream life. I had the great job. I had a beautiful partner and I had the, the the gorgeous little apartment that I always wanted to manifest. And I thought, I'm going to move back home to my parents and start again. Instead of focusing all my attention on finding or investing in another one, I invested in myself. And then that was the year that I applied to Miss Universe. And within 12 months, my entire life changed. And I guess it was recognizing like this blueprint that we're given so often, little girls from when we're young, like I remember being, you know, five, six, like you're, you're barely out of kindergarten. And the games I was playing was let's play mummies and daddies and let's, you know, role play weddings. And I'd take you to the baby born dolls that we all had. I would shove them under my shirt with my cousin and we'd pretend to be mummies who were giving birth. Like these are the games that we were playing. And it was never... I'm going to be a CEO or I'm going to be a businesswoman or I'm going to start a company and do this. Like those were the games we were conditioned, you know, to, to play because we're watching Disney movies where all women do is they prick their finger on a spinning wheel and they need to sleep until a man can come and non-consensually kiss them and wake them up. All of these messages, we absorb them and it makes us, you know, second class citizens in our life and it makes us in the passenger seat, it puts us in the passenger seat instead of being in the driver's seat where we go, actually, what the hell do I want to do with my life? With agency, with power. So that's what I grew up with. And also sentiments like, you know, when I learned to cook, I was often told, well, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. <laughs> what if I just want to learn to cook? <laughs> you know what I mean, like, it's just, you know, you, you're taught again, it's for someone else about the sex thing. I fucking love sex. You guys, I love sex. And I remember being told, you know, the, the shame and the stigma around it, like men don't want a promiscuous woman. Well, sorry. <laughs> or keep a house clean for someone else. It's like we're, we're, we're taught servitude and self-sacrifice from a very young age, in particular little girls. And I think it's, you know, sad that kids are indoctrinated into these gendered ideas about who they should be, especially with little girls were told, you know, aspire to happily ever after with someone else. But I want to shift the narrative. And if I could say anything to anyone, irrespective of your gender, you know, it's happily ever after by yourself, that's possible too. And, you know, I know parents and I'm, I'm friends with parents um, who are very young kids and I love seeing them make a concerted effort 
to not enforce these gender ideas on their kids and not treat their kids differently. Like they'll have their daughters help with handiwork around their house. If their son wants to play with dolls, they'll let him play with dolls and, and all these little things. It matters because this is how you can make a difference in raising someone who thinks their sole purpose is to be good enough just to be validated by someone else. Instead, you can raise someone to think, you know, I've got a big, powerful life. What the hell am I going to do with it? And how does that make me happy? And how am I being true to myself? You know, that's amazing that you have the opportunity to shape that. So yeah, I, I did grow up thinking that I would aspire to be someone's wife. And it did lead me to be very focused on, you know, just relationships in my 20s. And I didn't know myself, like, what do I like? You know, what are my ambitions? What do I want out of life? And it was only when I became single at 27 and I shifted my focus and energy onto me that life opened up. And I firmly believe that with your focus, where your focus goes, that's where your energy flows. And I really feel like once I shifted it onto myself, life changed for the better and it's been a whirlwind since. But now, you know, I've learned that success and happiness and being enough and what looks like a good life, it's subjective. You know, it's not the same thing for everyone else and, and, and the meaning of life or the end goal of life or what you want out of life. We're all so different. So the point of this is not to say that, you know, getting married and having kids and, and settling down and, and choosing a family and things like that, it's not to say that that's not worthy, but it is to say that that is not for everyone. And just because someone doesn't choose that, it doesn't mean that they are any less successful or they've not made it in life or they're not, you know, living a life that feels good for them. And so I'm, you know, me now, I'm, I'm healthy, I'm happy, I'm financially secure. At 30, I just bought and renovated my first house. I have my book out, I'm, I'm self-employed and I have all the love that I already need. Like in terms of the people that I have in my life, I have the best friends, a beautiful family. I have a very fun and active dating life and it's good you know I don't I don't need to be validated through a partner like my days are spent doing what I want and I'm happy and that's life for me and I just want to change you know where that person wrote in saying why someone is smart pretty and successful as yourself has not yet found the one it's because the one isn't someone outside of me like I am the one I am my one and I'm okay with that and if I ever choose a relationship if I choose to to be in a partnership with someone it's going to be because I want them not because I need them because I think when you think you've got to meet this goalpost of marriage and kids or whatever it is when you put it up there as something to measure yourself up against sometimes then it can lead us to trying to put a, a square into a circle you know I mean that we want something so desperately we want the relationship so desperately that we're willing to compromise on things that we really value or things that make us happy just to make it fit and make it work because we're so desperate for that. And so for me, like I'm not, I'm so happy and content in my life that if someone were to come in, they'd have to be compatible and, and meet my values. And we need to have a shared vision for life. Otherwise, why would I disrupt this beautiful life that I've worked really hard to create that's fulfilling for me? So for anyone who's listening and if you feel pressure to find the one or you're wondering what's wrong with me that I haven't found it or maybe you're questioning whether a family life is for you, I just want to validate and say, you know, I see and I hear 
and I understand what you're saying. And it is a journey and it's not easy to challenge gendered norms and concepts and conditioning in a world that so often views women in particular through a lens of parenthood or marriage. I just want to say those things are just facts of your existence. They are not goalposts to measure yourself up against. You know, you're enough. And when you know that you're enough, you know, to come back to that sentiment about why you've not yet found the one, well, because I know I'm enough, I very freely, easily and comfortably walk away from relationships that for me just if I know they're not fulfilling or if I know it's not going anywhere or it's not fitting my vision for my life because I'm all of those qualities that, you know, that writer listed, I can walk away and I'm not going to settle just to, to fit somebody else's blueprint. I won't compromise on my values for that. And I think it's really important that we start teaching our kids and we start honoring for other people that, Life, love, happiness, it's subjective and you can be perfectly content on your own because you are enough. You are the one and keep the bar really high for all the other ones. So what better way to end this episode than to bring you our segment, Ask Maria. So this is where I take three listener questions and I have to answer in under a minute. So three questions, three minutes of value. I'm going to throw to my producer, Blake, and he's going to give me my first question. Okay, let's do it. This one reads, hi, beautiful Maria. I'm sure I'm not alone here, but at every family event I go to, my grandparents, aunties and uncles constantly ask about my love life as if it's the only thing in my life that they care about. How can I communicate to them that I'd prefer not to talk about this and I'm so much more than who I date? This is an interesting one because I get this too. And when I have been at big family functions, everyone comes coupled up like all the grandkids and you always notice which kids aren't (laughs) coming single. And very often it has been me. So when people, you know, if they ask those sorts of things or inquire about partners, I think you can respectfully say, look, you know, I'm just here by myself, but I'm really excited about, you know, this project that I'm working on in my career. And I'd love to tell you about that and try and positively shift focus. Because remember that, you know, if you're trying to get people to change what they're conditioned to believe, you know, they should expect from you, that's not an overnight thing and it's not going to happen in a conversation. But maybe every time you see them, if you can respectfully not deflect or or divert, but just say, look, uh, no, I'm here on my own, but I'd love to talk to you about this. You take control of the conversation and shift it, but also manage expectations around what they're willing to change in their own minds, because that's not something you can do for them. You just focus on what's true to you. Okay. And for our next one, Maria, my sister has always been super clear of where she wants her life to go. Love, marriage, kids. After being unlucky in love for a few years, she has been with a guy for four months and they are already talking about kids and marriage. I don't want to be a terrible sister, but I want to make sure she's doing this for the right reasons. What do I do? You sound like my brother. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Okay, what I think you should do, and, and this is, you know, every family's different, every dynamic's different, but... I am making a couple of assumptions here. I assume, you know, you sound like you really love and you really care about your sister. If you feel comfortable in your relationship to do so, which if you're writing in, I'm going to assume you do, 
I would just sit down and have an honest conversation with her and do it in a way where she feels safe. Don't ambush her when she's just come home from work or, or you know, when she's just about to go see her, her partner. If you're having a moment where take her out to lunch or, or you guys are hanging out at home together and just ask her how she is. Open with that. Ask her how she is. And then start to express your concerns and make sure you come at it from a place of like, I love you and and this is not me making any assumptions, but I just want to know and check in with how you're feeling, where you're at. And when my brother has done that, as opposed to coming at me and telling me what he thinks I'm doing and what I shouldn't be doing, I don't feel like I've got my back up against a wall and I'm more open to having an honest, trusting conversation with him. I think the approach matters. And now for our last one. Hey Maria, I've recently come out of a long-term relationship where I genuinely thought it'd be my happily ever after, and now I'm rediscovering myself. Do you have any tips on how I can find myself and see myself as my own number one? This is beautiful, and actually episode one of this podcast is perfect for that. But what I would start by doing is honouring the fact that you've actually already had the mindset shift that you needed in that you are recognizing that a life that maybe you thought you were meant for, where you were with someone else, this path, it's different now and you're on your own path. And I think a really beautiful thing is recognizing that your life is whatever you choose and whatever you make it. It just depends on which path you want to go down. But there are so many different possibilities and you've chosen one where you are your priority. I think that's beautiful. So start by just you know, experimenting and figuring out what do you like? What do you like to do? What are your hobbies? What are your ambitions? Explore that and try everything and and see what works for you. But I think shifting your energy on yourself and and adopting some well-being practices, whether it's meditation and journaling and getting to know yourself, dating yourself, that's always going to open up a beautiful relationship for you with you. And so that rounds off episode three of the Marie the Tool Show. I loved this one. And this one is, you know, for me, it's it's one of my favorite ones I've done. And I think even with other episodes accumulating, I'm always going to come back to this one because this message stands true. I hope you found value in it and healing and it helped you. And next week when we're back, I have a bit of a funny one. I <laughs> recently did an episode on the kick pod with my friend Steph and Laura, where they asked me what it was like to be intimate with a woman. And it sort of started to open this can of worms, this conversation around sexuality and my preferences. And I have a lot to say. So next week, join me for an episode on Am I gay? <laughs> I'm kidding, (laughs) but kind of, no, 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 it's not. I'm not confused. I just have some thoughts on (laughs) my relationships and I want to talk about sexuality and relationships as somebody who is pansexual and what I've learned and what works for me and what doesn't. So I look forward to seeing you next week. Episodes drop weekly. This is Marie The Till and you're listening to The Marie The Till Show. 